Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. You can also read my regular CBSSports.com column, Agents Take, on NFL Salary Cap and Contract Matters. This time around, we're going to take a look at franchise tags, how they work, uh, the timing of when you need to place a franchise tag or transition tag on a player, and who are the most likely candidates to receive the designation? Now, the 15-day period when you can restrict an impending free agent uh, from hitting the open market and each team can keep one player off the open market began on February 21st, which is the 22nd day uh, before the 2023 league year starts. The designation period runs through the eighth day before the start of the 2023 league year, which is March 7th. It, 4 p.m. Eastern time is the deadline to keep one of your impending free agents off the open market. You can either put a franchise tag or a transition tag on a player. Um, the franchise tag is used a lot more than transition tag. That is seldomly used. And first I explain what is a um, franchise tag and how it's calculated. Well, there are two types of franchise tags. The non-exclusive tag, which we'll go over first, and then the exclusive franchise tag. Now, um, prior to the 2011 collective bargaining agreement, um, non-exclusive franchise tags had been the average of the five largest salaries in a prior year, in the prior year at the player's position, or the great, or 120% of the prior year's salary of the player, whichever is the greater of the two. Now, for franchise tag purposes, salary means a player's salary cap number, excluding workout bonuses and most other performance bonuses. Now, 2011 collective bargaining agreement made this calculation more complicated. They kept the 120% provision and the five largest salary provisions intact, but now it's based on what's called a cap percentage average. So what you do is you do that calculation of the original methodology, find the average of the top five salaries from the prior year, and you look backwards. You take the sum of those numbers for the past five years, so what the franchise tag would have been in the previous five years under that old methodology. You take the sum of that, you divide it by the sum of the salary cap for the previous five years. That gives you a percentage, and you multiply that for what the actual salary cap is going to be for the upcoming league year. And this year, the salary cap is $224.8 And that's how you figure out what the um, 
non-exclusive tags are going to be for each position. Now, transition tags are calculated the same way, but it's over, it's the average of the top 10 salaries, so that those numbers are going to be a little bit less. Now, exclusive franchise tag calculated a little bit differently. It is the average of the top five salaries in the current year. So that's salary cap numbers, the same minor adjustments. At a player's position, once the restricted free agent signing period ends for the league year, which will be April 21st this year, or 120% of the prior year's salary. Logistically, the non-exclusive, since that number is not known until mid to late April, logistically, if you give someone an exclusive tag, the non-exclusive tag is used as a placeholder. So, you stick a non-exclusive tag on a running back, which isn't going to happen, but this is for illustrative purposes. That number is the number that the team carries on the books. Then, come April 22nd, 23rd, whatever the exact date is when they make the adjustment, if it's higher than what the placeholder non-exclusive number is, then the number goes up. If it's going to be lower, then it stays where the placeholder is. Under no circumstance can the exclusive tag be less than the non-exclusive tag. Now, there are different rights associated with um, these tags. With a non-exclusive franchise tag, a player has a right to shop himself to every team. And he can sign an offer sheet. If he signs an offer sheet that his own team doesn't match, then... His own team, his old team, gets two first-round picks in return for compensation. And you have to have the, your picks available for the next two years in order to submit an offer sheet when the non-exclusive franchise tag is given. We don't see guys who move for full compensation. The last time that happened was Joey Galloway in 2000 when he went from the Seahawks to the Cowboys um, for the full two first-round picks. Now... Exclusive franchise tag, you get that, you don't have the right to shop yourself to anybody. It's a closed negotiation. You can't negotiate with anybody else but your own team. Now, the transition tag, you can shop yourself uh, to other teams, but the compensation is only a right of first refusal, just matching rights. No draft choice compensation goes back for an unmatched offer sheet. So that's basically how the... uh, three tags work. Now, for the uh, non-exclusive franchise tags, and that's what practically every position you get gets. The only position that you typically see the uh, exclusive franchise tag is with quarterbacks, and <clears throat> the last five times a quarterback has been franchised, for the last five times, I should say, that you stuck a tag on a quarterback, it's been the exclusive tag. The only non-exclusive one was uh, Kirk Cousins's uh, first franchise tag by the Commanders in 2016. It was non-exclusive. His second one in 2017 was exclusive. So, first let's go over the cap percent of a- averages for each position. Cornerback is 8.069% of the cap. Defensive end, 8.775%. Defensive tackle, 8.424%. Linebacker, 9.309%. Offensive line, 8.116%. Kicker, punter, this is the same 2.399%. QB, 14.42%. Running back, 4.489%. Safety, 6.432%. Tight end, 5.047%. Wide receiver, 8.783%. Now, what do these 
translate to in dollars. Cornerback, $18.41 million. Defensive end, $19.727 million. Defensive tackle, $18.37 million. Linebacker, $20.926 million. Offensive line, $18.244 million. Kicker punter, $5.393 million. Quarterback, $32.416 million. Running back, $10.091 million. Safety, $14.46 million. Tight end, $11.345 million. Wide receiver, $19.43 million. I'm not going to do the cap percentage averages for the transition tags, but I'll give you the numbers. Odds are you won't see a transition tag used. Um, that tag does not get used uh, very often over the past five years. It's only been used twice. Kyle Fuller in 2018 by the Bears stuck a transition tag on him, and he signed an offer sheet with the Packers. Four years, $56 million, that was quickly matched by the Bears. And then in 2020, the um, Arizona Cardinals put a transition tag on running back Kenyon Drake. So, those numbers. Cornerback, $15.791 million. Defensive end, $17.452 million. Defensive tackle, $16.068 million. Linebacker, $17.748 million. Offensive line, $16.66 million. Kicker slash punter, $4.869 million. QB, $29.504 million. Running back, $8.429 million. Safety, $11.869 million. Tight end, $9.716 million. Wide receiver, $17.991 million. Now, where these numbers factor in more than a player getting the transition designation is fifth-year options for first-round picks. You are selected to one Pro Bowl on the original ballot for the 2020 draft class, which has Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert in it. Your fifth-year option, if you've been to one Pro Bowl like those two guys, will be the transition tag at your position. So Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert's fifth-year option is $29.504 million. So that is what those guys would be making in 2024 if they don't sign a long-term deal. There's very little chance that they play on a fifth-year option. But that being said, now, over the past five years, franchise tag has been used 43 times. That's an average of 86 uh, times per year. There are eight players who were given the franchise designation last year. Um, the Cowboys' only team which have used the designation in each of the last five years. Marcus Lawrence, defensive end, got it twice, 2018 and 19. Dak Prescott got it twice the following two years, 20 and 21. The second one was a mere formality because he was signing a long-term deal, but he made the um, Cowboys burn a second franchise tag on him. You only be franchised throughout your career three times, and doesn't matter. That's not one team. That applies across the board to all teams. And Dalton Schultz played last season under a $10.931 million franchise tag. Now, I've had a couple of teams which have um, used franchise tag three times, the Buccaneers, um, Shaquille Barrett, a linebacker in 2020, Chris Godwin in 21 and 2022. The Chiefs used it on linebacker D. Ford in 2019, did a sign and trade with the 49ers. Um, Chris Jones, defensive tackle in 2020. And Orlando Brown Jr. played on it last season. 
um, the offensive tackle. The Jaguars have used it three times. Defensive end Yannick Ngakwe got it in 2020. Uh, was not going to play in the tra- tag and was subsequently uh, traded um, to the Vikings. Um, offensive tackle Cam Robinson got it in 2021 and 2022. Four teams haven't used it at all during the past five years. The Bills, Colts, Eagles, and the Raiders. So, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's now look at who are the best candidates for a franchise tag. And we're going to start with the uh, big dog, first of all. Um, Lamar Jackson. The Ravens and the and the and Jackson haven't been able to reach an agreement on a long-term deal. He played the 2022 season on a $23.016 million fifth-year option. Um, at today's press conference at the Combine, General Manager Eric DaCosta and Head Coach John Harbaugh um, are, they said they were hopeful that a long-term deal could get done before the March 7th deadline. I don't know if that's wishful thinking, given that uh, Lamar Jackson reportedly has wanted a fully guaranteed contract that the Ravens have been unwilling to do, or he's now looking at something other than a fully guaranteed contract. And he said they had four or five different scenarios if uh, they can't get a deal done. Now, this is where it gets interesting for him. That uh, quarterback number, as I said, was $32.416 million. If it is a non-exclusive tag, the exclusive number currently projects to $45.248 million. That is subject to change depending upon new quarterback deals, contract restructures, pay cuts, and releases between now and April 21st. The thing is, for restructures, the day you stick to tag on Lamar, uh, cap numbers are locked in. So if... Uh, Deshaun Watson gets restructured on March 12th, and he, right now he's got the highest cap number in the league at $54.993 million. The new number doesn't apply for these calculations. It's the old number. Patrick Mahomes is second. Cap number a little over 49.2. They wait till March 15th to convert his $34.4 million roster bonus. Doesn't matter. For these purposes, higher number. So, um... Those teams don't have any incentive if they're going to go the exclusive tag. Now, if I'm the Ravens, I'm not even thinking about the non-exclusive tag, even though um, Eric DaCosta indicated that they hadn't decided which one, um, for one reason, that you are inviting an offer sheet for Lamar Jackson with the two first-round picks. 
which could leave you vulnerable to a contract you don't want to match or you won't match. And to me, two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson is not adequate compensation. Now, the reason I say that is what happened with Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson last year? The Texans dealt Watson and a 2024 six-round pick for 2022, 2023, 2024 first-round picks, a 2022 fourth-round pick, a 2023 third-round pick, and a 2024 fourth-round pick. That's a whole lot more than two first-round picks. Now, the Broncos, and they, and they gave him the fully guaranteed contract, $230 million, even though he was under contract for four, four more years already, <laughs> um, which has been the sticking point in the Jackson negotiations. Now, the Broncos acquired Wilson and a 2022 fourth-round pick for the Seahawks for multiple players. Uh, tight end Noah Fant, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, quarterback Drew Locke, 22 and 2023 first-round picks, 2022 and 2023 second-round picks, and a 2022 fifth-round pick. So, as you can tell, both these situations, it's three first-round picks plus when you factor in the equation of what the players might be worth in a, in a trade. Three first-round picks plus. Two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson, inadequate. Now, you also have had non-quarterbacks go for more than two first-round picks in recent years. Jamal Adams a safety when he was traded from the Jets to the Seahawks. Jalen Ramsey, a cornerback, when he went from the Jaguars to the Rams. And Laramie Tunsil, when the Texans gave the Dolphins an offer they couldn't refuse, it was more than first, more than two first-round picks for each of these guys. As I said, inadequate compensation for Lamar Jackson on an unmatched offer sheet. Now, you really don't want to have 45-point million 45 million or, or around that I don't know what the number exact number would be come April 21st but you really don't want to have that taken around your cap but you basically have a little bit of a month window where you wouldn't have it you'd have the lower amount you'd have the 32.416 million initially as a placeholder but he already is supposedly rejected a 50 million dollar per year five-year extension offer uh, before the start of the regular season last year so um, if you're worried about him using the exclusive number as a starting point in negotiations, if you tagged him twice, you're talking 100 million over two years. Basically, you're already at the average of what he turned down, so that shouldn't really be um, a consideration as far as I'm concerned in the decision that you are going to make. Hopefully, it's all for naught, and the optimism the Ravens have is not misplaced. So. Let's look at a um, another potential quarterback. Now, the Giants have two guys that they're negotiating with, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. And they are cautiously optimistic they can get deals done. Now, um, Jones recently um, changed agents. And reportedly, he's asking for $45 million per year. Now, I can say confidently... That if I represented him, I would not be asking for $45 million per year, so I probably gotten fired by Daniel Jones <laughs> for not thinking that he was going to be uh, worth that much. Daniel Jones, the um, Giants did not pick up a fifth-year option for him. They could have had him from 2023 for $22.384 million, but they declined that because, quite frankly, 
I wouldn't want to be stuck with that based on what happened in his first four years. He was a turnover machine, um, basically the first four years. And then with the new regime, Brian Dayball, offensive genius as the head coach, started living up to potential and made him the sixth overall pick. Had the league's second fewest interceptions with five among qualified passers. Only lost three fumbles this year as opposed to turning the ball over left and right. Had the lowest interception rate of his career at 1.1% of his passes. Also led the league in that category. Um, Post-career highs in passing yards with 3,205. Completion percentage 67.2 and passer rating 92.5. And established himself as one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the NFL. He rushed for 708 yards. While averaging 5.9 yards per carry, which was fourth in the NFL. The Giants surprisingly made the playoffs and won a playoff game. Um, beat the Vikings in the wild card round before getting demolished by the Eagles in the divisional playoffs. Now, that being said, um, to me, the right range, if you take the average two non-exclusive franchise tags, and you're not going to stick an exclusive tag on Daniel Jones because nobody's going to give up two first-round picks for him. Is going to be the average two franchise tags is going to be a little about 35.5 million per year. That's an appropriate or reasonable range for a long-term deal for Daniel Jones. If I'm Daniel Jones, I might ask for basically 40 million over three years. That's slightly less than if you got three not non-exclusive tags, which uh, and then that'd be my starting point. And if I could settle for like 37 and a half million. We'd have the first two years fully guaranteed. We call it a day. Then some escalators or incentives where if I take my game to another level, then I'm making over $40 million per year if I hit all my if I hit everything. Um, but that's where I would be with Daniel Jones. Now, um, with Saquon Barkley, um, he's a running back. And teams typically don't like to pay running backs on a second contract. So, to me, he's really, if you could put him on a franchise tag, which he said he doesn't want, uh, you could do that. Um, I'd make him go year to year. That's just me as a running back. I wouldn't pay him. But, nonetheless, he kind of makes the offense go. Um, look, He looked like a superstar in the making as a rookie when he led the NFL with 2,028 yards from scrimmage and was offensive rookie of the year. It was Plagued by injuries and had a down year coming back in his first season back from reconstructive knee surgery in 2021, but this year had a career high. 1,312 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns on the ground, which is ninth in the NFL. He was fourth in rushing yards, played 16 games, and had 1,650 yards from scrimmage, seventh most in the league and fifth among running backs. He was one of the five best running backs in the league. Now, they did negotiate with him around the November bye last season. And that offer was in the $12 million per year neighborhood. Um, Barkley said when they lost in the playoffs that he didn't want to be the highest paid running back, which is Christian McCaffrey, who's on a four-year extension averaging slightly over $16 million per year, had $39,162,500 guarantees, and a running back best $30,062,500 fully guaranteed at signing. So um, the right range is really probably 13 14 million um, for Saquon Barkley in a long-term deal where you got the first two years fully guaranteed no guarantees after that so maybe 27 28 million depending on where you come in 27 to like 30 million would be fully guaranteed at signing depending upon what the deal would be 
the Giants need to get one guy done, and they use a tag on the other to make sure nobody hits the open market. I think if they had to push comes to shove, they'd have Jones play on the tag. He's not going anywhere. He gets the tag. If they're both going to be unsigned, he gets the tag. Barkley doesn't. And then they are at risk of Barkley potentially leaving. But running backs typically don't do well in free agency. The last one was Le'Veon Bell um, in 2019 when he signed for $52.5 million over four years with the Jets. And was didn't last two years in New York on that deal. So um, we'll see what happens with the Giants and, and where they go in terms of potentially avoiding using the tag at all. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sticking with quarterbacks, um, the Seahawks stumbled upon um, an answer at quarterback, at least in the short term, for the next couple of years, and Geno Smith. Uh, Smith had a year that nobody saw coming. He First, he had to beat out Drew Locke, who was acquired in the Russell Wilson trade, to be the starter. Um, teams, uh, not teams, um, conventional wisdom suggested that the Seahawks should have pursued Baker Mayfield or tried to get Jimmy Garoppolo from the 49ers. But they stuck to their guns because they thought they had a viable starting quarterback in one of those two guys. Now, Smith threw for a franchise record, uh, 4,282 yards of 30 touchdowns. Led the league in completion percentage, connecting on 69.8% of his passes, had the fifth best passer rating in the NFL at 100.9 million, was selected to the Pro Bowl. The Seahawks, who were supposed to be in rebuilding mode after trading Wilson, went to the playoffs with a 9 and 8 record, lost the 49ers in the wild card round. Geno played on a one year, $3.5 million contract, worth up to $7 million through incentives. He maxed out the incentives. Now, at the Combine and General Manager, uh, John Snyder declined to answer whether Geno Smith would get a franchise tag if they can't work out a long-term deal. That's something they've been building towards both team, both sides want to make something happen. They also have the fifth overall pick thanks to the Broncos being so bad, so they were going to be in position to get to draft a quarterback was what everyone expected, but because of their own pick, not the one from Seattle. Now, that being said, um, Geno, at least on a two-, three-year basis, should be averaging over $30 million per year. Now, the reason I say that is starting quarterbacks in 2022, which weren't excluding those on rookie contracts, their, a- their average salary, according to NFLPA data, was $32,036,681 per year. Geno Smith was more than average, better than average. Now, if I'm Geno, the first thing that I tell the Seahawks in a negotiation is, I want at least $35 million, and here's why. Four years ago, basically a four-year-old deal, you made the guy that I replaced, the highest-paid player in the league, 
at $35 million per year. Now, salary cap then was $188.2 million. Salary cap now, $224.8 million. Highest paid quarterback is Aaron Rodgers, slightly over $50 million per year. So, I'm not at the high end of the quarterback market, and it's going to continue to jump if Lamar Jackson gets a deal done, Jalen Hurts gets a deal done, Burrow and Herbert as well. I'd get pushed down even more. Daniel Jones should probably come in ahead of me. So um, that $35 million per year on a two-, three-year basis, I'd be comfortable with that. It'd be as what I think I should get. I don't know if the Seahawks want to go that far, but if I'm Geno, I might kind of wait and see where Daniel Jones, what happens with him. Because if he comes in at 40, the Giants kind of cave a little bit, or high 30s, then I can use that as the latest data point in the marketplace, and hopefully that will help me get a deal. Now, Seahawks rightfully are indicating, at least publicly and probably privately, they could use a quarterback, take quarterback with the fifth overall pick. It's a smart thing to do, is to at least threaten that, even if you don't do it, to kind of uh, blunt or stem or diminish uh, any leverage Geno might have. Now, we'll go back to running backs. Um, there are two other running backs that potentially get tagged. One, I think, is an absolute certainty, and that is Josh Jacobs. Um, that number, as I said, is $10.091 million. He led the NFL with 1,653 rushing yards and 2,053 yards from scrimmage, had 12 rushing touchdowns, was a first-team All-Pro, averaged 4.9 yards per carry. His fifth-year option was not picked up. It would have been $8.034 million. But now um, he was ba- he and he was basically the heartbeat of the offense last year. He and um, Devonte Adams. Now he's interesting from the standpoint that there's low mileage on him, even though he's played four NFL seasons. Uh, when he came into the NFL, he had 250 carries at Alabama. That's it in three years. 250 carries. A running back who goes in the first round normally has 250 carries in one year. In college, so the, there's more tread on the tires for him than you would think. If I'm uh, Josh Jacobs, I'm looking to be paid, the second highest paid running back in the league right now. That's Ezekiel Elliott until he's either cut or takes a pay cut, and that's 15 million per year. So I'd be looking in that ballpark, maybe a little bit more. But I don't think anybody resets the market, even though the McCaffrey deal is basically three years old. The Dallas Cowboys. Use the tag more than anybody else, and they've indicated they'll probably use it again. Tony Pollard was Dallas's best running back in 2023, and you could have a good case that he was their best running back in 2021. So the past two years, 2021 and 2022, he's been their best running back. Earned his first Pro Bowl berth, rushed 4,000 yards for the first time in his career, had 1,007 rushing yards while averaging 5.2 yards per carry which was third in the NFL among running backs. Now, the one hiccup is in their loss to the 49ers in the divisional playoff round. Um, he broke his left fibula, had a high ankle, high ankle sprain, had that tightrope surgery that they have now for high ankle sprains. He'll be ready for the start of training camp. An injury like that is not going to... Uh, impact him even if they don't stick the franchise tag. We saw that 
Aaron Jones redid his deal, so it basically over the uh, took a pay cut. Um, so if you look at the four years he's under contract, it's really close to the 44 over four, then the 48 over four. Uh, it's a little, I think it's a little under. So maybe the you could get Pollard on a three-year deal, 11 million dollar range. Dallas, maybe they do that. Their other option would be sticking a second franchise tag on Dalton Schultz. The 120% provision will kick in for him. It would be $13,117,200 for a second franchise tag um, for Schultz. Um, statistically, he did not have the same year that he did in 2021, which got him the franchise tag. He had 78 catches, 808 receiving yards, and 8 touchdowns, which is a career year. Now, he was slowed by a PCL issue in his right knee, and the PCL Injury is what kept Lamar Jackson out for the final stretch of the season and the playoff game. He only missed two games, rushed back for it, and then had no chemistry with backup quarterback Cooper Rush. Now, while Dak Prescott missed five games for fractured right thumb. Now, if you looked just at the games that Prescott played, he's basically the same guy he was in 2021. David Njoku made it hard for them to get a deal done last year when David Njoku signed for when he was franchised by the Browns, a four-year deal averaging $13,687,500 per year in June. That instantly became Schultz's floor. So, granted, his numbers took a hit this year. I don't think he had, I think, 57 catches for 577 receiving yards. I don't think he's going to be looking for any less than Njoku and probably still in the $14 million per year neighborhood on a long-term deal. Um, I think that um, Pollard's the best bet to get the franchise tag uh, from the Cowboys. Staying with tight ends, um, Jaguars general manager Trent Baalke said Evan Ingram is going to be on the team one way or another. It'll be $11.345 million to stick a franchise tag on him. Um, his last year in New York, playing on fifth-year option in 2021, down year, 46 catches, 408 yards, and three touchdowns. Signed a, surprisingly, this was a lot, a lot more than I thought he'd get on a one-year deal. I thought he'd be in a one-year prove-it deal in the $5, 6000000 million range, but it was one year for $9 million, maxed out at 10 of incentives. Now, he turned around, had the best year of his career, 73 catches, 766 yards, and four touchdowns. So he's got to be looking in, looking at Njoku. That's his floor. Probably looking $14, 15000000 million per year range. Same thing Schultz will be looking for. But um, he's not getting out of Jacksonville. Um, we'll see if they get a deal done before the deadline or just stick a tag on him and then go from there. Um, let's go to uh, an, another guy. Um, let's go to two guys who are playing on um, – who be playing on second tags. One is Orlando Brown Jr., um, the offensive tackle for the Chiefs. Um, his tag would be $19,994,440, the 120% provision kicking in. Um, negotiations last year did not produce a deal, and he didn't show up until training camp is starting, got off to a slow start. They, uh, he rejected, and rightfully so, a $139 million deal over six years with a $30.25 million signing bonus, which at the time would have been a record for offensive linemen. Quentin Nelson subsequently signed for $31 million. Uh, 
as a signing bonus. Yeah, he would have been the highest paid tackle, but there's no way in hell I'd ever sign a six-year deal for a guy who was 26-year-old and a Pro Bowl caliber left tackle. Um, it averaged $23,166,667 per year. But that's only because the last year had a $44 million salary in 2027. That's $95 million over five years, which is the top of the right tackle market. He was a right tackle. The Ravens wanted to be a left tackle, which precipitated the trade. That's what it should be if he's on the other side of the ball. Other side of the line, I should say. And then you had Quentin Nelson come in at $20 million to reset the guard market. I'm not taking a deal under $20 million because that's where... Um, Quentin Nelson is, if I'm Orlando Brown. And now, for second tag, it basically $20 million, knowing you won't stick a third tag on him because it's the quarterback number, which is how a third tag works. The third tag is um, the uh, biggest franchise tag number in any position, which is quarterback, or 144% of your prior year's salary. So that's a huge jump. That's why, particularly for a quarterback, that's why nobody ever gets a third tag. Um, we haven't seen that happen since they put that three-tag limitation in there. So, I'm also not doing... I'm slow playing this because Laramie Tunsil is in a contract year. He's going to reset the market for offensive linemen. It, um, it's damn near impossible to franchise him um, for the Texans. They've restructured his contract twice since making since he reset the market in 2020 on a deal averaging 22 million per year, and those restructures have put his cap number this year at 35 million 210 thousand 834 dollars. So that's uh, franchise tag is over 42 million. Ain't happening. So they're gonna get a new deal done. It's gonna reset the market. And I wait till that's in the market. I'm not going to beat Tunsil, but that will help me get more than I could have if it didn't exist, if I am Orlando Brown. But the Chiefs have gotten guys to do things which are more team-friendly than player-friendly. Since this is my first big payday, um, is Orlando Brown, I'm not doing that <laughs> if I represented him. Uh, now, let's move to uh, Jesse Bates. Uh Jesse Bates did not play well in 2021 in his contract year. He wanted a new deal, let it affect his play, but bounced back and had a great playoffs. Played more in 2022 like he did in 2020 when he was a second-team All-Pro. Now, that being said, his second franchise tag would be $15,493,200 with the 120% provision kicking in. Now, if you look at the Bengals, they'll use a franchise tag on a player, but they won't use it on him a second time. At least they haven't done it in consecutive years in recent history. That's been their track record. Now, um, I assume he's going to hit the open market, but I'm mentioning him just in case they decide to franchise him. With their first-round pick, they took Daxon Hill, 31st. Contingency plan to probably replace him. Now, his... Reasonable worst-case scenario should be what Marcus Williams got on the open market after playing on one franchise tag with the Saints to go to the Ravens. That's $14 million per year on a five-year deal with $37 million in guarantees and $32 million fully guaranteed at signing. Now, Bates is represented by David Mulligetta, who is also um, Deshaun Watson's agent. He reset the market for safeties with his client Derwin James 
in August. Four-year extension, $76 million, $19 million per year, $42 million in guarantees, a little over $38.5 million fully guaranteed at signing. Mulligan is going to have a set site for uh, set site uh, for more something closer to Derwin James's deal than the Marcus Williams deal, assuming Bates hits the open market. Now we only got a couple more guys to discuss. Um, one who's already been franchised, the first guy and only guy who has a franchise tag placed on him so far. The Washington Commanders stuck a franchise tag on Deron Payne. For 18.937 million, I didn't think this was something which was remotely possible when the regular season, 22 regular season began. They were comfortable letting him play out his fifth-year option. He was known more as a run stuffer than a pass rusher. While playing on an 8.529 mi- 8. 8. Yes, can't talk. 8.529 million fifth-year option. He went out. And proved he was more than a run-stuffer. He had 11 and a half sacks this year. So, he's going to reap the benefit of the huge gulf at the top of the um, interior defensive line market. Aaron Donald was the ceiling for these guys on the deal he signed in 2018 at $22.5 per year. Nobody could get above that, no matter when they signed. Well, he was unhappy with his contract. They... Do something which doesn't happen. He had three years left. They basically ripped it up. Didn't get any new years. Signed him for $95 million over three years. That averages $31,667,667 per year. Now, next highest paid is DeForest Buckner and Leonard Williams at $21 million per year. Donald averages 51% more than those guys. That gap's going to close. So, Payne's going to reap the benefit of that. Um... He's represented by Joel Siegel, who did the Buckner deal. So if I know how Joel Siegel thinks, first thing he's going to do is go, eh, that Buckner deal you adjusted for cap inflation, that puts me in the $23.8 million neighborhood. They have until July 15th to get a long-term deal done for franchise. Actually, July 17th this year. It's typically July 15th is the deadline for franchise players to sign long-term deals. If it falls on a Saturday or Sunday, that deadline moves to Monday. So it's July 17th. I'm in no hurry to sign a long-term deal because you got young interior defensive linemen who will be heading to a fifth-year option in Quentin Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, and Dexter Lawrence. I will let them go first to all the heavy lifting, and then I'm going to use the new data points in the marketplace to help me get um, as close to that Buckner adjustment as possible. I if the market goes the way I think it is, I don't think you're going to sign Payne on a long-term deal for less than $22.5 million per year. Now, the final guy I am going to bring up is Falcons offensive lineman um, Caleb McGarry. Now, McGarry <laughs> picked the right time to put it all together. It's kind of like what Garrett Bowles did um, after a couple of years ago when the... Um, Broncos didn't pick up his fifth-year option. They did an extension uh, during the middle of the season um, because he started being the player that they envisioned. Now, McGarry displayed so little in 2021 that the Falcons turned down a fifth-year option for $13.202 million for him. And then all he does in 2020. 
two is go out and establish himself as one of the best run blocking um, right tackles in the NFL and does a better job against the pass. The only reason I'm even considering a franchise tag for him is because the Falcons have the second most cap room in the league. They're in the high 60s now that they've cut Marcus Mariota. And they could easily afford an $18.244 million um, franchise tag, even though that exceeds what I think his market value would be. Worst case scenario, he's worth at least what the on a long-term basis, the option that was declined, so that's basically $13.25 million. And the most recent right tackle deal in the marketplace is Jack Conklin, Towards the end of the regular season, resign with the Browns for $60 million over four years. That's $15 million per year with um, $31.3 in guarantees. So Gary could get the tag just because of the abundance of cap space, but his value isn't worth the tag. Now, that's going to be it for um, guys who could get um, on the tag, and that's going to complete our discussion of the franchise tags. Uh, don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, that's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L, and you also read my regular CBSSports.com column agents take on NFL salary cap and contracts matter. contract matters. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.